On this episode, what should we make of the inconsistent play of Trey Lance this preseason? We'll talk Oregon, Georgia, and Notre Dame, Ohio State, and I'll give you my picks of the week for week one in college football. And we're going to finish up with another edition of Four Ups, Four Downs, where we'll talk about NFL teams that are going to improve on last year's win totals and which ones will fall short. A full weekend of college football is upon us, so let's talk some football. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jeff Adams, and I am your host. We're going to go ahead and jump right into things with a segment, Pump the Brakes, on the struggles of Trey Lance. Here's a recent narrative on Trey Lance. Lance has been just okay this preseason. He's missed passes. He hasn't looked great. He's underthrowing passes. Trey Lance is experiencing arm fatigue. He has accuracy issues. No shit. He hasn't played meaningful football in two and a half years. 2019, North Dakota State, as a sophomore, was the last time he had regular reps. And, oh, by the way, that 2019 season, North Dakota State won the national championship, and Trey Lance averaged just under 18 attempts per game, which in today's day and age of college football is almost nothing. It's like we went back to the, to the mid-'80s Alabama Crimson Tide. In those... 18 attempts per game, by the way, in 2019. Trey Lance completed 67% of his passes. So there is a little bit of hope. Now, if we're in win-now mode, right, if that's what the the Niners are doing, then Jimmy Garoppolo would obviously be the choice. But Jimmy is good. He's not the guy. I know that. I know that's how the Niners fans feel about that, and it's certainly how John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan feel about it because they traded two years of first-round picks and another first-rounder to move up to draft Trey Lance. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo got them to two NFC Championship games in three years, a Super Bowl. He's won 70% of his starts. He's incredible in the locker room, okay? This can be a pro-Trey Lance segment without being anti-Jimmy, okay? But Jimmy Garoppolo isn't going to get it done. And I said that he had gotten the Niners to two NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl. The reason why he got them to a Super Bowl, didn't win it, was because he didn't execute down the stretch with a 10-point lead, and he misses a a very simple pass for a quarterback to make, sails the ball, they turn the ball over to the Chiefs via punt, and Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes does, and that's because Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't convert. Now, The reason why I'm not worried about Trey Lance is because every quarterback experiences ups and downs. For those of you that were around and remember Peyton Manning's rookie season, it was rough to watch. And I recall an interview with Archie Manning when they asked about what his take on Peyton's progress was earlier in his career. And Archer recounts a story where he asked Peyton, why are you throwing so many interceptions? And Peyton looked at his dad, his Hall of Fame dad, and said, nobody's open. And Archie just smiled. So with Trey Lance, someone who hasn't thrown the ball that much, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, and the downs are going to be ugly. I mean, no doubt about it. But Kyle Shanahan, we've talked about on this show before, is the best offensive mind and play caller in the league, in my opinion. He's made it work with all sorts of guys all over the league. And if he can get a solid but not spectacular Jimmy Garoppolo to have this level of success, 
to be a 70 to 75% win percentage guy, then wait till you see what he's going to do with Trey Lance, who has a skill set that not many quarterbacks in the league have. So I'm willing to roll the dice on Trey Lance and the 49ers as my favorite to win the NFC West this year. And now we're going to talk about some favorites to win the College Football National Championship in our next segment, College Football Games of the Week. There are two marquee matchups this weekend. The first one we're going to talk about is number 11, Oregon, versus number 3, Georgia. That's Saturday, 3.30 kick at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta on ABC. Georgia is a 17.5-point favorite. The over-under is 52 points. Now, it's a neutral site game. Yeah, not, not in Atlanta. It's not a neutral site game. Oregon does travel well, but there is going to be a lot of red and black in the stands, and this is a de facto home game for the Bulldogs. Let's talk about Oregon first. To end the season last year, they lost three of their last four. Now, two of those losses were to Utah, a very good Utah team, but by a combined 76-17. to 17. And then in their bowl game lost Oklahoma, they gave up 47 points. That's not good. Not when you're going to be going up against a Georgia team that's got, you know the phrase, SEC speed. The defense returns a lot, minus Kayvon Thibodeau, the number five overall pick, but struggled half the last half of last season. Mario Cristobal, head coach, is gone. He's down in Miami. Dan Lanning, ironically, the defensive coordinator at Georgia the last three years takes over. So you got to anticipate He's going to be able to do some things to help on the defensive side of the ball. But my question for Oregon in this game is, what are we going to get out of the quarterback position? Lanning still hasn't announced the quarterback. It's between Auburn transfer Bo Nix and five-star recruit Ty Thompson. And Lanning is not going to come forward with a starter because, to be honest, he knows that they are – every bit of a 17-and-a-half-point underdog, and he thinks he's going to have some sort of advantage by not naming a quarterback with the speed that Georgia's going to have on defense and the way Kirby Smart's going to have his guys playing. I don't know that it matters who they have at quarterback. Bo Nix is a big, strong kid with a decent arm. He was kind of a poor man's Tim Tebow his freshman year at Auburn, and that's what kind of the Auburn faithful were, were banking on him turning into. But all the turmoil with Auburn, uh, Bo Nix uh, decides to spend his last year in Oregon on Georgia's side of the ball. They lost 14 starters and had 15 players drafted, which is impressive in and of itself. They returned quarterback Stetson Bennett, tight end Brock Bowers, in addition to five other starters on offense. Brock Bowers, tight end, who plays more like a wide receiver Freshman All-American last year, showed up big in the national championship game. But also at the tight end position, the Bulldogs have Eric Gilbert, who in Todd McShay's 2023 early mock draft, he has gone off as the 16th pick. When's the last time you saw a team that threw the ball like Georgia and had two tight ends like that? And I'm not, we're not talking Iowa Big Ten football here, okay? Also, running back Kenny McIntosh, Todd McShay has going... 33rd overall in his inaugural mock draft. And Cedric center Cedric Van Pran, the 38th pick. So the offense is going to have talent all over the place. But where they really make their money, where Georgia really is going to shine again this season and in this game, 
despite the defense returning just three starters, linebacker Nolan Smith and defensive backs Keely Ringo and Christopher Smith, there is talent and speed everywhere. Now, Jalen Carter, defensive tackle who didn't start last year, McShay has his second-best prospect in the draft. Nolan Smith, the aforementioned linebacker, fifth. And cornerback Keely Ringo, who sealed the deal in the national championship against Alabama with a pick six, he has going off as a 12th pick. Georgia's got too much talent. They've got a home crowd. I'd lay, I'd lay the 17 and a half. If I'm betting this game, I'm taking Georgia, and I think this game could get out of hand sooner rather than later. The other marquee matchup this weekend, number five, Notre Dame, at number two, Ohio State, Saturday, 7.30, on ABC. Again, 17.5-point spread. Ohio State is the favorite. The over-under, 58.5. Let's talk Notre Dame first. They got a new head coach, Marcus Freeman, who, interestingly enough, played linebacker at Ohio State. Players love him. They could not have been happier that Marcus Freeman was named head coach, takes over, moving from defensive coordinator. Uh, the guys in the locker room went to bat for him. He got the job. At quarterback, that's where the question mark is. New quarterback, Tyler Buckner. We talked about him last year as or last episode as a little bit of a uh, Heisman hopeful. He was getting some nice odds. Notre Dame returns all five starters on the offensive line. And against a defense like Ohio State, I can't stress how important that is. Tight end Michael Meyer, McShay has as the ninth pick in his way-too-early mock draft. And Notre Dame returns 10 starters on defense. So this game has got the potential to be much, much closer. If you're so inclined, maybe a money line bet on Notre Dame just to see what happens. But let's talk Ohio State. They return six starters on offense, seven on defense. But the big deal is Heisman frontrunner quarterback C.J. Stroud they also have two guys at the skill positions that are getting a lot of love from odds makers as far as Heisman goes, a running back Travion Henderson and wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. We talk about all three of these guys on last week's episode. Go back and check it out if you haven't already. And they've got three starters coming back on the offensive line. 17 and a half points is too many. If I had to bet, I'd take the Irish to cover. I still think Ohio State gets the win, but they don't do it by more than 18. Speaking of covers... We're starting off with a team who's getting points in everybody's favorite segment, it's all about money. I've got a college football four-pack for you. We're going to start with number seven, Utah, at Florida. Now, as of a couple of weeks ago, Utah was a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and that number has moved to three, meaning Utah's getting a lot of money. That's a Saturday 7, kick, 7 p.m. kickoff on ESPN I love home dogs. There's nothing that gets my pants tighter than when a home dog in the SEC gets points from an out-of-conference opponent. Utah is flying across the country. The Florida humidity is a real thing. For those of you that haven't been to the swamp, it's called the swamp for a reason. Now, it's not a whole lot hotter in Florida than it is in Utah this time of year. I literally went and checked today. But from the Mountain West region of the U.S., to come down and play in the stickiness and humidity in Central Florida, that's going to have an, an impact. Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach, one of the longest tenured coaches in the NCAA. I love everything about him. Last year, Utah went 10-4. and four. We talked about two wins over Oregon. They won the Pac-12. 
36 points a game they average. They return quarterback Cameron Rising. He can throw it. He can run it. He's fun to watch. And he has a sweet flow and facial hair combo. If you don't believe me, please go check Google Images for Cameron Rising. It's, it's some stuff. If he was as good at playing football as he was at having that flow and hair combo, then he would be the defending Heisman Trophy winner. As for Florida, new head coach Billy Napier is all about discipline and accountability. He is very deliberate. If you got some spare time, Google the Gators team picture. There are just as many support staff and coaches as there are players, and I am not exaggerating. It is incredible. Billy Napier's attention to detail, well, we'll see if it pays off. The Gators have talent all over the field. Their talent, high school talent in the state of Florida is second to none, and the Gators have that in spades. The big, the big difference in this game is Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. For those of you that haven't seen him play, 6'4", 231, runs a 4'5", 40. He's the closest thing to Cam Newton that I've seen. Yes, he's unproven. He saw some time last year, but not enough. But we're talking about a guy who has the athletic profile and the talent to be mentioned as a Heisman Trophy finalist. He's that good. Utah is 2-8 and eight in its last 10 games away from home against teams that finish with a winning record. I know that's a lot, but that's a big deal. They struggle on the road against teams that are good. And for Utah last year, all four losses came away from home. I'm going to take the Gators, getting three. I'm going to be happy about it. I'm excited about it. I'm also a Gator, so you might want to keep that in mind before you go betting the mortgage payment on that game. Our next game, another SEC host, number 23, Cincinnati, travels to Arkansas, number 19. This line has moved from Arkansas by 7 to Arkansas by 6. It's a Saturday kick, 3.30 ESPN. Arkansas won five of the last six to end the year, including an overtime win at LSU, even though they had a down season. They had some, it's always a difficult place to play, right? LSU has always got talent on the field. And included in their season last year was a seven-point loss at Alabama. Head coach Sam Pittman, in his three years prior to arriving in Fayetteville, the Razorbacks were 1-23 in SEC play from 2017 to 2019. In his first year, Arkansas wins three games in the conference. Last year, they went 9-4 and four and finished 4-4 four and four in the SEC, including a one-point loss at Ole Miss. Arkansas is going to play tough. They're going to play fast. Now, Luke Fickle, head coach of Cincinnati, he's another guy that's been there a while, and I do like what he's doing. But listen to this stat on Cincinnati that I'm guessing most of you didn't know and don't know, and I didn't until I started digging into this matchup. Cincinnati had nine players drafted last year. That's more than any school in the country other than Georgia and LSU. In that, five of the top 100 picks were from Cincinnati, including Sauce Gardner, cornerback, fourth overall, and four-year starter Desmond Ritter, who went in the third round to Atlanta. Now, that is what I'm taking away from this matchup, is that their four-year starter is no longer. You don't just replace that kind of confidence and that kind of leadership and then travel week one and your new quarterback's first start on the road against SEC speed and a 
punch you in the mouth offensive line and offense under Sam Pittman. I'm going to take Arkansas. I'm going to lay the six, and I feel good about that bet. Our next game, Florida State versus LSU. This is a neutral site game, Sunday, 7.30 on ABC, being played at the Superdome in New Orleans. Just like this uh, Oregon-Georgia matchup in Atlanta, there's no such thing as a neutral site game for LSU in New Orleans. It's just not happening. This is, again, as a de facto home game for the LSU Tigers. Now, LSU did struggle last year, 6-7. and seven, But again, second most players taken in the draft with 10 LSU's always talented. It's never an issue. And Brian Kelly, new head coach by way of Notre Dame, is going to get the most out of that talent. Now, I'm not saying LSU is going to win 10 games this year. I don't think they will. And LSU has seen in the last week and a half, two weeks, uh, a shocking number of players either be dismissed from the team or enter the transfer portal. And Brian Kelly's attitude about that has been, if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. Because there's a new way of doing things. This is a guy who consistently won double-digit games at Notre Dame where he was limited in who he could recruit based on the academic requirements for admission into Notre Dame. So LSU has the talent. Now they have the leadership. On the other side of the ball, FSU has lost their last five openers by three or more, and I'm not counting last week against Duquesne for a variety of reasons, one of them being that the team that FSU played last week was called Duquesne. Now, Head coach Mike Norvell going into his third season. This is a make-or-break season for Norvell. They got Jordan Travis at quarterback. He played four years of college football, yet he's still somehow a redshirt junior. I didn't know that the kind of the COVID situation meant that you could play college football until you were 37, but Jordan Travis is going to test that theory. Now, Jordan Travis is uber-athletic. They're absolutely better with him on the field. The issue is he's so athletic and he's so smart. He runs the ball and he takes a shot. And then you're, you're concerned that he can stay in the game. He's listed at 6'1", 212. That ain't, that ain't the case. Those numbers, that data is inaccurate. I'd be surprised if he's a whole lot over 200. If he can stay upright and Florida State can protect him and they can establish the run like they did last week against Duquesne, they got a shot, but I'm taking LSU. I'm going to lay the three, and I expect a double-digit victory for the Tigers. And our last game, number four, Clemson at Georgia Tech. That's a Monday start, 8 o'clock on ESPN. The line has moved from Clemson minus 20 to Clemson minus 21 and a half. Just shows you how many people are putting money on Clemson. Well, let's talk about why that is. Last year, Tech was three and nine. And their three wins were against Kennesaw State, North Carolina, and Duke. Not impressive. What is impressive is that in their matchup against Clemson last year, they played them to a 14-8 loss. Their leading rusher, Jameer Gibbs, transferred to Alabama. He's a preseason SEC all-conference first-team pick. And Tech's season win total right now is at three and a half. As far as Clemson, they were 10-3 last year, including one-score losses to Georgia and North Carolina State and a 10-point loss to Pitt. Kenny Pickett, first-round draft pick, quarterback, Pitt. So while Clemson had a disappointing season, they still performed fairly well. Now, we talked about DJ Uyunglele last week. 
as a freshman, when he had to step in for Trevor Lawrence due to COVID, he was sensational. Last year, we did not get that DJ. He completed 55% of his passes. And if he doesn't clean it up, all-world recruit Kay Klubnik is going to take that job and run with it. But for me, this is more about Clemson's defense. Defensive end Miles Murphy and defensive tackle Brian Brissy are pro football focuses fifth and sixth ranked draft prospects for this upcoming season. Linebacker Trenton Simpson is 28th on that list. Add in defensive tackle Tyler Davis, who was first team all SEC last year, and defensive end Xavier Thomas, who was a third team all ACC selection, along with freshman All-American safety Andrew Makuba, and the Clemson defense is going to be just filthy. I expect Clemson to turn Tech over multiple times. A defensive touchdown wouldn't surprise me. I'm going to go ahead and lay the 21.5 points. I know that's a lot, but I think the Clemson defense and some improvements on offense are going to work in Clemson's favor, and I look for running back Will Will Shipley for Clemson to have a big day. This segment of Saul About Money centered on some big-time college programs and was brought to you by our sponsor, the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. Often confused as a center for ants, the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good and want to learn to do other good stuff too, teaches young people that there's more to life than just being really, really, really good looking. If you want your wallet to be at least three times bigger than it is right now, take our advice and throw some cheddar on those games. Georgia Tech season looks to have less ups and more downs, but now we're talking NFL in our next segment, Four Up, Four Downs. I'm going to give you four teams that are going to surpass last season's win total and four who will fall short of their 2021 success. Our first team up, the Baltimore Ravens, 8-9 and nine last year. Baltimore has one of the better head coaches in the National Football League. The long-tenure John Harbaugh. They're going to get healthy. They had injuries all over the field last year, none bigger than Lamar Jackson. Now, they had a great draft, I think the best draft of any team in the league. Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton falls to him at 14. He's my favorite for defensive rookie of the year. They get Tyler Linderbaum center out of Iowa. Defensive tackle Travis Jones falls to him in the third round. In the fourth round, offensive tackle Daniel Fa'alele, 6'8", 384. And this preseason... Another fourth-round pick, tight end Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina, has been extremely impressive. And that's not even including Michigan outside rusher David Ojabo at pick 45, who's basically going to be taking a medical redshirt this year as he suffered a major injury during their pro day on campus in the spring. Now, pass catchers, Mark Andrews, best pass-catching tight end this year, in my prediction, in the league. Rashad Bateman looks to take another step forward. But let's be honest. This is Lamar Jackson's team. They were 8-3 when he went down last year and the number two seed in the AFC and then lose their last five. Baltimore going over eight. To me, they win the division. I think they're better than, they're better than Cincinnati. They're definitely better than Cleveland. Pittsburgh's still not sure what they're going to do at quarterback. Baltimore Ravens definitely going to go and improve on their eight-win total from last year. Our first team that's down, the Kansas City Chiefs, 12-5 and five last year. They lose Tyreek Hill. Now, do I think that is going to be a huge loss? Do I think it's going to negatively impact what they do as far as wins and losses are concerned? 
Not necessarily, but it is a thing because the guys they brought in to replace Tyreek, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Juju Smith-Schuster, they haven't done anything impressive in quite some time. For MVS, not too much at all. Listen, if he couldn't put up big numbers in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball and Devontae Adams commanding double and triple teams on the other side of the field, that I'm not sure what we're expecting out of MVS now that he's in Kansas City. And Juju had one good season, right? But that was like three years ago with Ben Roethlisberger. And while Ben Roethlisberger had trouble throwing the ball down the field and made me wonder if he actually shouldn't try throwing the ball left-handed last year, that certainly didn't affect the productivity of Deontay Johnson. So there is a little bit of concern about if the Chiefs are going to be able to put up the same kind of offensive numbers they are. And the division got much, much, much better. You're talking about three other teams that could possibly make the playoffs, and the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders. I don't think the Chiefs have a bad season, but I don't see them getting back to 12 wins. Our next team up, the Los Angeles Chargers. 9-8 record last year. Head coach Brandon Staley goes into his second year. That's a big deal to me because hopefully somebody slapped some sense into him and told him that it's okay to punt on fourth down. Shocking, given that he's a defensive coach, that he went for it the number of times he did, but it ended up being more harm than good. Los Angeles improves at edge. They bring in Khalil Mack. In corner, they sign J.C. Jackson. They already had Joey Bosa on the other side. They already have Asante Samuel Jr. on the other side at corner. They're strong at offensive line. They have great weapons. Out wide, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. They've got Austin Eckler, very impressive at running back. And then Justin Herbert is a lot of people's favorite to win the MVP coming into his third year. I don't see any way the Chargers don't improve upon their nine-win total from last season. Our next team that's down, I'm assuming you're all going to agree with me, the Tennessee Titans. AFC's number one seed in the playoffs last year with a 12-5 record. My concern here is the wear and tear on Derrick Henry. I know he came back at the end of the year and looked like he was back to 100% in their playoff loss. But somebody that size, somebody that's that big, that takes that amount of punishment, and not necessarily from that he can't take the hits, but he's a big guy and all that running, cutting. Like his injury last year is a broken bone inside his foot. It wasn't from some kind of contact. So that worries me a little bit. Tennessee has no perimeter weapons at all. So in the event that Derrick Henry is going to round back into form, once they start stacking the box, who's Tennessee going to throw it to? You got Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. It ain't Patrick Mahomes back there. Mike Vrabel is one of my favorite coaches to watch in the league. And I do think that Tennessee, I'm kind of thinking I still like him to win the division partly because of Rabel. However, November through mid-December, this is what the Titans' schedule looks like. At Kansas City, home to Denver. At Green Bay, home to Cincinnati. At Philadelphia, home to Jacksonville. And then at the Chargers. It is not outside the realm of possibility that they go 1-6 and six in that stretch. And given that they only lost five games last year, if they do go 1-6 and six in that stretch, then they're definitely not going to get back to last year's 12 wins. 
Our next team that I'm up on is the Minnesota Vikings. 8-9 last year, got a new head coach in Kevin O'Connell, who was a third-round pick in 2008, way back in the day, by the New England Patriots, and learned at the foot of L.A. Rams wonder kid Sean McVay. I think just getting an offensive mind in Minnesota is going to do wonders for Kirk Cousins. Just having a coach that he doesn't think hates him is going to be a big deal. Minnesota's got fantastic skill players. Adam Thielen's getting a little older, but he can still do it in the red zone. Justin Jefferson's one of the best receivers in the league. Dalvin Cook can take it 90 at any time. If Irv Smith can come back and give him anything at tight end, that's just a bonus. And the defense can't be any worse. Can they? Ton of injuries. Awful the last two years. Should be at least some improvement there. The Vikings were 6-8 and eight in one-score games last year and lost games to Cincinnati, Arizona, Dallas, San Francisco, and the Rams by a score. Those are all playoff teams. They also lost by, to Baltimore by one score, and that was when Baltimore had Lamar. I think, I think the Vikings kind of turned that around a little bit and absolutely improve on their eight-win season from a year ago. I am down on the Tampa Bay Bucks at least winning 13 games this season like they did last year. Huge injury concerns all across the offensive line. They're on their fourth center. They've had guards out. Tristan Wirfs is dealing with a core injury. Like Tom Brady, he ain't the most mobile guy. He doesn't like guys around his feet. He doesn't like guys coming up the middle. No quarterbacks do. But at least with some of the other younger quarterbacks in the league, they're able to get outside the pocket. That is not in Tom's game at 45 years of age. Plus, we're already dealing with hamstring issues for Mike Evans and Russell Gage. Chris Godwin's coming back from an ACL. I think it's going to take him a little time to round back in the form. Gronkowski's gone. Basically, anybody that he wanted to throw the ball to last year isn't there. And on top of that, Tom Brady retired. He am retired. Then he went through some personal stuff. He took 11 days off. I'm not going to get into whether that's okay, it's not okay. It doesn't make any difference to me. But a lot of times when you check out, it's really hard to check back in. So Tampa getting back to 13 wins, I'm not buying that. Our last team that I'm up on, the Detroit Lions, 3-13-1 last year. Now, I know this is some low-hanging fruit because all they have to do to improve on last year's win total is get to four games. But in their last six games last year, they were 3-3. Three and three. In the three weeks prior to that, they tied Pittsburgh, lost by three at Cleveland, and then lost by two to Chicago. So the last nine games of the season, Dan Campbell had their guys plan, plan to win. If you watch Hard Knocks, then you're a Dan Campbell fan, and you're also a fan of assistant head coach Deuce Staley and defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. Shocking that they're actually friends uh, because it looks like they're about to fight each other every time they show them uh, during a scrimmage. But... That's the attitude in Detroit. We're going to be tough. You're going to know you played us. They're nasty along both lines, offense and defense. They've got talent on the offensive side of the ball. DeAndre Swift, Amara St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson, they signed DJ Chark. And while Jared Goff isn't making anybody forget about Matthew Stafford in Detroit, he's not absolutely awful. He's just not very good. But he is good enough for Detroit to win more than three games with the talent and leadership in Detroit. The last team I'm down on. I could have chosen Dallas, Chicago, Atlanta, Seattle, and I think that would have been kind of some gimmies. I'm going with the Arizona Cardinals. First off, 
I'm not sure how good they're going to be at stopping anyone. J.J. Watt is a shell of himself, and Chandler Jones being gone on the edge is a huge, huge, huge deal. And offensively, I don't trust James Conner to stay healthy. We can talk all we want about Eno Benjamin, but he didn't do anything last year to make me feel good about James Conner maybe missing time. And simply put, I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury at all. Arizona has been terrible to finish out the season the last two years. And I mean awful. In a previous episode, I predicted that Cliff Kingsbury was going to be fired. And my bold prediction was that it was going to be during their week 13 bye week. I still stand by that. I don't see the Arizona Cardinals getting anywhere close to the level ones they got last year. Kyler is an incredible talent, but he is not a leader. Anytime you have to have a clause written into your contract that you're going to study as an NFL quarterback, that tells me all I need to know about what your team thinks of you. And as an aside for Kyler, way back when that happened, for him to say that it was disrespectful, you didn't have to sign the contract, dude. Like you could have said, take that out and then I'll sign it, which they ended up doing anyway. But the fact that it was included at any time tells me a lot about you. That's going to do it for us. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share the show with your friends. Remember, if you leave us a five-star rating and ask a question in your review, we'll answer it on the pod. I'd like to thank you for making us a part of your day, and we'll end the show with some words from Nick Miller. You treat an outside wound with rubbing alcohol. You treat an inside wound with drinking alcohol. And that includes Rolling Rock. <laughs>